Big Frank from Denver, Colorado, speaking at Top of oh, Top Roundup, 1996, October 10. Let's pray. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change those things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Here's Frank. My name's Frank. I'm an alcoholic. Sean has consented to keep me in coffee. I still got this full hand syndrome. I don't know where I picked it up. Somewhere <laughs> along the way. First, I want to thank you folks uh, for the accommodations and your hospitality and your friendliness. Uh, you don't know me. I hope it lasts. <laughs> but it won't break my heart if it doesn't. The uh, That kind of an introduction, you know, the lay down the gauntlet, you better be good kind of an introduction. <laughs> I don't bite. Uh, the, um, I'm assuming this group has been represented, which has been represented to me as a group that's committed to fundamental orthodox AA as set forth in the first 164 pages of the big book. Now, if you're not in that position, I suggest you will not be very happy with what follows. <laughs> Fair warning. Everybody's here. Okay. Uh, the... Uh, you have treated me very well. I do want you to know I appreciate it. Gary and Julie uh, brought me up from Indianapolis. And, and by the way, I particularly want to thank Matthew for setting up my travel arrangements. I can almost stand up straight now. See, <laughs> <laughs> sat me. I've been... I've been had before, <laughs> but neither by an innocent brood like that before. <laughs> but uh, their revenge does not lie in my heart. I got in this lovely airplane, and uh, 727, I finagled the seat he hadn't arranged it. By the escape door, I had a lot of room for my legs, right? We take off from Denver, and we're flying. We're going. We're going to go to Chicago, and then we're going to come into Indianapolis, and Jerry's going to meet me, and I'm going to go to French Lick, which I anticipate is some kind of a log lodge up in the mountains. <laughs> so uh, we're in the air an hour, and all the ones are turning around, taking us back. They can't get a flap up or some damn thing. Scared the shit out of me. <laughs> and they land that airplane. I sit in Denver for two or three hours. Now, they've made a connection directly to Indianapolis, but it's an hour later than I have arrangements for my pal to pick me up, right? Will I hitchhike to French Lake? Big question. <laughs> and this is all due to Matthew's planning. I don't believe in coincidences. <laughs> then uh, the new plane, I'm stuck next to a very big man and against a window with my knees underneath my chin. 
I have a spike about an inch long on my spine, which if cramped up impedes my sciatic nerve, causing me a great bit of damn discomfort. (laughs) And I had two gosh darn hours of that discomfort. But I forgive you, Matthew. That happens kneeling. (laughs) I swear, I'm not as nice as George, and I'm not as nice as George. Forgive me, but I only swear when there are no other words in the vocabulary to express what is truly meant. I was talking to some pals of mine about qualify. Uh, I think it's essential. Um, to suggest you may have drank a little something. Uh, For example, a friend of mine and I were on a 12-step call, a man and his wife, immaculately well-groomed, lovely home, and they called AA, and the two of us went to this poor, distressed man, and here is this healthy bozo who had two glasses of sherry every night. And uh, we did not identify. We told him that there's nothing there that even resembled alcoholism and so forth, and we left. And it wasn't two months later that he was in AA and he'd been properly 12-stepped with a more understanding person. But I'm one of those that believes that Alcoholics Anonymous is for alcoholics. Uh, Period. Nothing. Nobody else. Just alkies. Now, we have a lot of people who are, have also a drug history, but they are alky. I do not believe in dual problems. Uh, why? Because if the heat gets too much on one problem, they jump to the other problem. Now, you're either alky or not. So this rather unusual orthodox bill. By the way, if I say anything you cannot reconcile with the big book, I'm wrong. Uh, I don't believe that alcohol is an addiction. My first strong influence was a man named Gene at York Street. You notice I did not say sponsor. I asked him to be my sponsor. He said he would, and he denied it all the years to his death that he ever said something. (laughs) He said it wasn't in the big book, and, and that's the way that went. But he had more influence on my life than anyone except my father and my uncle. My uncle was a drunk. His influence was negative. Uh, I'll give you a... uh, Anyway, he distinguished between the drunk and the addict. He said, now, you take a man up in the shack in the woods, chain him up, and you shoot him with heroin or crack or something three or four shots, you've got an addict. He says, you take that same normal man up there and you pour whiskey down him with a funnel or alcohol enemas or in the vein, any way you want to. No matter how long you do it, if he's a normal man, all he, when you get done, all you want to do is get away from him. If he's an alky, he's going to want to marry you. <laughs> the, uh, 
I have followed that. I am a real alky. A real alky. That's been held in contempt in some circles. But I am an alcoholic of the hopeless variety. I will never be normal. I gave it a good shot. And I failed. Um... I was asking my pals about qualifying. What do you think? They said, first place, you want to talk about loss of control, which is, of course, the key factor. If you can't keep yourself from starting drinking or when you start, you can't control the amounts you take, you're probably alcoholic. Uh, I couldn't drink in the morning, but rarely, because I couldn't stop. Uh, I know a lot of alkies can drink and get well in the morning. I had to stay sick as long as I could. I was a daily drinker, a volume drinker. Uh, honey, this is the end of it. Never again. I love you very much. This is all there is. I'm so sorry. And before dark, I'm in the bar. Well, I must not have really meant it. Honey, so I don't know what happened, but this is all. And then I'm back in the bar. Uh, I won't drink in court. Not ever. Until I drank in court. I had a, a death penalty case that fall before I came in. Uh, the uh, recesses were imperative to me. I needed those recesses. And we had a judge who incidentally happened to be an AA, but he was really just a bastard. And he, and he used up those recesses, and I started going into the DTs. And I'd last till noon. One noon, we had to stay and do instructions, and I went crazy. They, uh, it was a, the only issue was death. The guy was an alcoholic who was on Librium for his comfort's sake, and drinking. And in a blackout, and he took his wife out in City Park in front of about 182 witnesses and shot her and threw her out of the car and drew his car over her and did all sorts of things, and then went to the bar and had a drink and couldn't remember any of it. And uh, the only issue is whether or not to, that he'd be killed. And we tried, that case went on forever. Qualified for the death penalty in 45 minutes. Can you believe that? qualified for the death penalty in, 20, in 45 minutes. It takes weeks. But we had a, I had a senile lawyer an Alzheimer's who was working with me and had drunk. This guy was well represented, right? <laughs> and uh, verdict came in and they couldn't find me to take the verdict. They had to get the old man to take the verdict. And by the way, he, his life was saved. God, thank God. Probably on the street now killing some other one. But uh, uh, that was getting towards the tail end of things. Things were getting a little rough around the edges then. Uh, I began to lose my tolerance. Now, a lot of people, I'd been fired twice, jumped out from one job or another, and honey, I'm going on my own. This one guy, I went there 30 days, at a lovely office and so forth. Came in, all my stuff's in a little pile on the desk. And I asked the wrong question, why, you know? Ooh. Well, he said, you won't do what you're told. You lied to me. 
uh, I can't ever find you. He says, you're a drunk. And he says, you're fired. And then quite a little bit more he had to say. <laughs> I generally didn't ask dumb questions like that. I was pretty, but I did. And then, uh, honey, I've had enough of this being an employee. I'm going on my own. And two weeks later, I remembered it. When I, <laughs> I forgot all about it. That's what I thought had happened. Uh, made amends to this guy and said, how in hell did you pick me up so quick? He says, I had a brother that's a drunk, and I just was not about to have another one in my life. Uh, and there's and the illusion now that drunks are, are socially acceptable, and everybody loves the alky and so forth. Don't you believe it? Don't you believe it? One of the best things we got going for us is that, uh, that we're not approved of and shouldn't be. I'm a recovered alcoholic. I'm a recovered. Most people who say they're recovering aren't. Somebody around 20 years in AA and says, I'm recovering, giving that modest little statement. You know, I got a big book that shows how, what is 100 men and women recovered. And if you're around, you're still playing the humility game, or more likely, I'm recovering, so I'm not responsible for my life. I can lie to you because I'm just recovering. I can screw you over because I'm just recovering. I'm just recovering, so you can't ask me to do the goddamn work in the big book. Yeah. So to you recovering alcoholics, good day. The, uh, see... You do the work, you recover. You get well. Now, I may lie to you, but it won't be because I'm a drunk. It's because I'm a lying son of a bitch, but not because of alcoholism. <laughs> I may steal for you. It's because I'm a thief. But it, whiskey didn't cause it because I have recovered from whiskey. See? Tell you about drunks. One drunk, see another drunk. I came into the dining room Friday night. Eating, I was eating alone. I look over there and I see that hat. Now, you see Clarence over there? See that hat? See? Now, that guy's got to be a drunk. Maybe. <laughs> I, tell, I tell you about a hat like that. But that guy's got to be, or else he's a high dollar drug dealer or some goddamn thing, but I think he's a drunk. <laughs> and uh, you know what that hat is? That's a bar hat. You wear that hat in the bar, you say, any son of a bitch can knock this hat off, can have it. That's the hat. We later became acquainted, and he and his lovely lady made some nice, nice acquaintanceships here. How to qualify. Asked lunch with my pal, this one, and he'll call it, so we lost the control. Uh, okay. Well, move up to the front. <laughs> if you're hungry, get your ass up here. <laughs> yeah. You with me? If you need what I have, move up. Otherwise, bleed. <laughs> See, and you in the back. I used to run sheep. I had a sheep outfit over in the western slope of, of, of uh, Colorado. And uh, those sheep... The strays on the edge of the herd 
were the ones the bear and the coyote picked up. And I think the same thing is true in AA. The same thing is true in AA. Those people that sit in the back and around the edges and play it safe. And they're the ones that get picked off with whiskey. They're the ones that get picked off with whiskey. I do speak too, speak too soft once in a while, and I apologize. Good. <laughs> I don't think you need it. But listen, all right. Qualify. How do you qualify? At least it loss of control. And another said, well, about the demoralization. So I'll talk about that. I became everything I despised in a human being. I was well raised. I was raised in a strong, loving home. I was disciplined. I was in church. I had a religious... I was given an education, and then I deteriorated bit by bit by bit. I became cruel and vicious beyond all belief. Tell a story about that. I'd play a game in the bar called Big Chicken. This was long before the end. And I'd play like I was a coward or less than I was or saying, and some guy was a girl, and I'd prod him a little, and he'd call me out, and then I'd take him out and beat his head in. And then this one night, there was this boy, and I got outside, and he knelt down in front of me and begged for me not to hit him. Now, one thing, if you're leading that life, you've got to stay asleep. You can't wake up. And that moment of great clarity came... And I realized what I had become. And I had become that which I despised. I sold my soul in the Denargo market. I stole, stole my clients' funds. I lied. And I deteriorated morally then physically well I still have chronic cirrhosis I had the DTs badly when I woke up I'd have the DTs of the audio type I'd walk down the street and uh, I'd hear Frank, Frank McKibben now do I turn around or don't I? Is there someone there? I blacked out a lot. I didn't really realize the extent of blacking out until after I sobered up. For example, uh, I had a guy come in, and this was a guy I knew better than a third of my clients I couldn't ever remember having seen before. And we'd play, who are you? And what did I promise I'd do for you? And did I take any of your damn money? Or, and it, it was awful, terrible time. Phone, I was too frightened to answer it, but too frightened to let it ring. Uh, to go to court, I was early, you were sobering up. There was a guy in the luggage department of Bay Diab. 
between my building and the courthouse. And I'd go and he'd pull my guts together so I could face the court. And then on the way back, he'd pull my guts together so I could face the office. I had a big pile of papers on there. I scared to death to open any of them up. And the priceless jewel who had been my secretary had betrayed me, got married and left. And I had... <laughs> And I have this new woman who holds me in utter contempt, and rightly so. And then the third guy said, fuck it. I said, what in the world do you mean? I can't do that. He says, yeah, fuck it. I said, no, I don't understand you. He says, well, you got a job to do? And you say, fuck it, and you go drink. He says, you got to be in a court or someplace? Say, fuck it, and you go drink. Yeah. You've got to go home, and you say, fuck it, and go drink. So I understood that. And I became a hopeless, helpless alcoholic. Recovery was tough. We did not have access to the steps that are available today. But I'm going to tell you now how I work the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. I just completed the work. I'm going to share that work with you. If you will bear with me, please. This is how I did the steps during this last time through. I began with a step before the steps. Now, you've asked an individual to read this out of the fifth step chapter of the steps, but you didn't go back far enough. Because it starts with saying, if you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to do it, and you're ready to take certain steps. That's the step that has to be done before, and I do that each time I go through the steps. That commitment, by this work I will live, by this work I will die. I will go to any length, not only to maintain sobriety, to reach new awareness and new understanding, to improve my conscious contact with God and to have him in my life and in my heart. I'm very clear about that. I review each step, and I know the difficulties they'll face and the uncertainties and the unknown, and I make that commitment. And I remember the time and place that I do that. I used to do it with someone to em emphasize that. And that's before I begin. Then, each time I sit down to write, I review the first three proposals. I do it in this fashion. I do not seek answers. I'm not looking for knowledge. I'm seeking a spiritual experience. The line of the first three steps are directed to give me direct conscious contact with God and that experience. Now the first step is we admitted we were alcoholic and that our lives had become unmanageable. Am I a real alcoholic? I've been sober a long time now. Uh, perhaps I was an emotional drinker, a nut. And I'm, because of my, and that was true, because of my, <laughs> of my deep fears and my terrible emotional, my terrible and emotional consider that's why I drank. I am now stable by anybody's criteria, mentally and emotionally stable. I'm in a profession that tests it on a regular basis. So now I can drink normally. 
now difficulties. Maybe that's why I drank. God knows I had difficulty. I had one set of people that wanted to kill me. One fellow that I had kicked in the head in the Hilton Hotel and a pearl-handled gun rolled out of his briefcase and I kicked him again and kicked the gun away and the cops came in. It was kind of a messy little deal. But I, he said, I'm going to have them get you. And then I went home to my house on the second floor and I sat in there and I got out. I had a 44 pistol and I got it out. Sitting in there with my underwear in the lap waiting for them, right? <laughs> then I got scared of the damn gun. So, so I unloaded the gun. I sat with the empty gun. Then I got scared of the empty gun and I sat in terror, put the gun away, sat in terror the rest of the night, waiting for them. But there was some real limbs, too. Uh, I had a lot of trouble after me, people after me, for money, for unpaid debts, for undone work, or oh, I had some judges that was, thought it was inconvenient for me to continue the practice of law. I thought uh, another, another block thought would be very nice if I got a little iron door therapy to help me with my conditions. Uh, that's why I drank, because of all that trouble. But that's all straightened out. The amends have been made. They've all been cleaned up and removed. And now I can drink normally, right? Or perhaps I'm a man who has locked, lost his legs. That I will never be like another normal human being. And I will die in this fashion. And that if I take one drink, I'm off to the races. And if I get started, I don't ever say that I couldn't make it back. But I worked with too many long-term sobriety that have made it back, a lot that haven't. But uh, I've worked with better than a dozen over, over 20 years that have drank. Friends of mine, 12 years that drank a little while ago, so on. So I don't say that, because that's not true, because that says there's a limit on the power of God. But most that drink that after lengthy sobriety don't make it. Had another friend who was 32 years sober, was responsible for a good portion of the sobriety in northern Colorado, and uh, he took pills and went, became a treatment counselor, took pills six years, took him six years to die, couldn't get back into that. Lovely man, lovely man, too bad. Alcoholism, the true alcoholic is a victim of a deadly disease. To the true alcoholic, to drink is to die. Am I like that? Am I like that? Well, maybe I need to try the Marty Mann test. But about two drinks a day for 30 days, more or less. No more, no less, and don't skip a day. I'm a great believer in that. By the way, I tried that drink. I was pitched by a man who had broken his anonymity in law school, and he took me in that little pink birthday cake, and they talked about God, and I said goodbye. But he told me too much, and one was this Marty Mann test. I got drunk four days in a row, 
And John, I didn't remember doing it the last over two years. <laughs> we have three members of our group who have done that, taken it, and are back on the street as normal people who were sold into AA for whatever reason. So if you can't get it resolved, and it's vital that you do, let me tell you what happens to a straight NAA. He doesn't talk drunk talk. He does not have the commonality of experience. And while he speaks English language, he does not truly know the transaction that passes with one drunk talking to another drunk. And they get sicker, and they get crazier. And God help you if you're not, don't let anybody sell you your alcoholism. Find out. There's another real problem to come in as a straight. You're starting a spiritual program that demands rigorous honesty with a fundamental lie. That's treacherous. That can really get you sick. Now, my life had become unmanageable. AA's questions do not beg answers. They're to lead you to experience. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, but our lives had become unmanageable. What does that mean? How is it with money? What about public service, release, master charge, visa, discover, so forth? Is this what I intended? Can I manage this? Without God, can I manage my financial affairs? My ego, can I straighten out my own ego? Can I relieve myself of this terrible burden? personal relationship. Do I know what I should tell you here? Can I manage this conference? Can I see who needs what, who needs to hear what? Can I manage this? Of myself, I am nothing without God, I am lost. You notice I did not answer those questions. I remember my life. What about my relationship with Jenny? Last night, all I have to do, last night, talk to her on the phone. Yesterday, last week, Tuesday, is that what I intended? God, I love that girl. Can I manage that? Can I maintain it? How about in my group? Can I manage this? Do you feel the tension? That's what that tension, you're going to follow through the steps. If you're a comfort lover, you will not enjoy this. Prozac is the new comfort weapon of choice. And if you're seeking comfort, go the Prozac route until it does whatever it's going to do to you. Uh, it's not new. When I came in, it was barbiturates, just moving into Librium and then Valium and then Lithium and then da-da-da-da-da-da-da. This isn't new. Uh, Awful things have happened. There's tragedies out of that. But AA is not about solving the social problem of alcoholism. Not very many people get sober in AA. 
Did you notice how many more younger sobriety there was here than older? I'll bet they all moved to Denver, right? The older sobriety. Sure. The Denver must have moved here, right? That's why. See? Old Dougie Tripp at York, uh, iron worker, uh, legs were mutilated, and he sat there in York all the time. And uh, he figured maybe 6% of the people that come into AA get and stay sober. I think that's generous, but it meets pretty close to my experience. There's a deadly thing here. I may not be too nice a deliverer of the message, but all I'm talking about is that I know somebody here is going to die and die pretty quick. Maybe we can make a difference here tonight. I know some of you are going to drink before the year's out, and these are people that are committed to the work. I will fight that. Uh, George. George's sponsor is evidently a fan of mine, I suppose. He said his best wishes, and he said, George, spend some time as Frank. If, if you can get past his personality, you'll like it. <laughs> Jesus. I don't know if he said that or George is the natural diplomat. I <laughs> Can't imagine, until I realize experientially of myself, I am nothing. Without God, I am lost. And I know it. Not as an intellectual exercise. We got a lot of intellection pumping away in AA. God help me. Then I move to the second step with this experience. Do I believe or am I willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself who will for me resolve all this and take me into a whole state of consciousness which I cannot imagine, I cannot conceive of. How do I get past here? And everybody here in this room is here. Now, how in the hell are you going to get past here? And the second step is, uh, says here. Is the past past here? Or perhaps this is all there is. This is all there is. Well, if this is all there is, God is not all. This is limited. For me, he's not all. It may be all for you, but not for me. So God is not God. And I'm an atheist. Do you understand that? Was that too quick for you? Am I willing to change my mind? When I came into AA, I assumed open-mindedness meant that I would just add this new knowledge on top of all this vast wisdom that I already... I couldn't hit my ass with both hands. And that hasn't changed. The ego still works in the same fashion. This phenomenon of the reconstruction of the ego is a terrible thing. Let me tell you, the longer you're sober, the more difficult to work. Don't make any mistake about it. And the easier and better your life. But there's no arrival place. I always want certainty, reassurance, and an arrival place. And it just thrusts you more into the unknown. And then the third step. Made a decision to turn our life and our will over to the care of God as we understood it, to utterly abandon myself to God. 
Now, the first requirement of the third step is the key, that any life based on self-will cannot succeed. That's a requirement you got to get past. Decisions made on what I believe to be true can never work. Ultimately, you'll fail. You'll fail personally. All right, am I willing to be an agent of God? To sit here and speak in God's shoes as I speak now. Pretty audacious, isn't it? Am I willing to be a servant of God? Am I willing to be an employee and stay close and do his work? Then the third step prayer. God, I offer myself to thee to do with me and to build with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help. Of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life, may I do thy will always. And now I'm ready to write. And I wrote. I'm going to take the liberty I brought my inventory with you and I'm going to read some selected portions of it to show you how I wrote inventory this time. I get a ruler out. I even brought my ruler. And I'm very careful and meticulous when I write. I'm dealing with power. I understand I'm dealing with power. I'm extremely careful with power. I draw three columns on a, on a page. I take the individual's inventory in the second column carefully in detail what I resent and then in the third column I analyze my ego the third column is what I believe to be true this is the knowledge of how I know who I am how I know things should come out, how I know what I need, how I know you should behave and treat me, both men and women, and what money is. Simple. Self-esteem, that's who I am. Ambition, what should happen. Security, what do I lack or need. Right? Personal relations, what are people of the same sex as I, how they should behave and be and treat me, sex relations, how person of the opposite sex should be, so forth and treat me. Let's see how that works. You notice three columns. You notice I did not say four. Now the fourth column has been created by a group of people educated way past their intelligence. <laughs> That's right. The, the philosophers and the so forth. Now, if any of you would care to discuss with me, I'll be around. If you're around tomorrow morning, bring some inventory to me and I'll show you. Most of the time, it's just damn careless writing and draft, drafting. 
And even worse, you put a fourth column in, you can dodge experience, and you can get a conclusion and get relief. Ha, that's what it is. Or you can call yourself names there. But remember, we're seeking experience. Let's see how that works. This is about a crazy client. This guy is certifiable. I mean, genuinely. Number one, he's crazy. Number two, he is a spoiled woman-raised boy with temper tantrums. Number three, I can't control him even by threatening him to withdraw. He hides, number four, he hides behind his mother and she protects him and endorses his madness. She's an enabler. Number five, he whines and sulks. Six, he has his needs ahead of his child. This involved a rather complex custody case. Um, number one, and I write those down. I rewrite them as I go through because it makes it easier to fit stuff. Number one, he is crazy. Self-esteem, I'm saying. Ambition, to bring him to reason. I'm the healer. Personal relation, there's no such thing as insanity, just self-will. That is selfish, dishonesty, self-seeking, and afraid. All of which yield to me. Security, I need to seed, I need sane, compliant clients. Pocketbook, money equals sanity. Uh, you think it's funny. Why are you making decisions based on this horse shit like I am? Because <laughs> you understand I know these things are true, right? You get the feel for it? Now, now they said, you look at you, they see where you're selfish, self-centered, uh, afraid, so forth. You think that isn't pretty evident there? That I'm hurt and trusted with this guy because I can't get along with it? Let's go on. He is a spoiled woman-raised boy with temper tantrums. Number two, self-esteem. I'm a man raised by men. Ambition, to give him balls. <laughs> self-esteem, serene, at peace, cool. That's another one. I got two things going here. I got two scenarios now. I'm a man's man, and now I'm Mr. Peace and Cool and Quiet. Wow. I wonder why I get confused in some of these situations. Ambition, uh, to smack him when he has a tantrum. <laughs> Sex relation, women insist that men raise their boys. Personal relations, a man is even-tempered, under control, strong and clear. He lives with others with love and reason. Ooh. Number three, I can't control him, even by threatening to withdraw. Self-esteem, I'm a lawyer. All powerful. I know people. I can manipulate anyone. <laughs> I see. Ambition. To control him and threat and treat and create him in my own image. Personal relations. All need me, yield to me gladly. Self-esteem. <laughs> I'm indispensable. I am important. I know what is best for you. Pocketbook, control equals money. Security, I need to control to be safe. Number four, he hides behind his mother and she protects and enables him. Self-esteem, brave, protected by God. That's me. K, 
Captain Courageous, John Wayne, laugh while the Indians tortured. <laughs> Self-esteem, I'm independent, I'm dignified. Ambition, to install brains, courage, and dignity in the son of a bitch. <laughs> now this, you understand, this guy is a very sick man. <laughs> Uh, self-esteem I need no endorsement or, or justification for others I am God's child justified by God no matter what others think security I need to stand alone reputation and prestige as a he-horse pocket money equals independence money equals courage money equals intelligence he whines and sulks Self-esteem, responsible. I take comes with equanimity and without complaint. Self-esteem, the humble man. <laughs> yeah, I got a little conflict here, don't I? Humble man. I let others be. I never try to manipulate them. Self-esteem, the loving man. I never withdraw to get my way. Ambition, to have him act like a man, to take responsibility for his life. Personal relations, men are stoic, brave, open, loving, giving, selfless, humble. Security, I need the power to create him in my own image. Self-esteem, professional, I am immune to the whining insult. Now that's a piece of a client. I want to read a couple more. Is that all right? Okay. This is about a guy in AA, 33 years sober, a member of our group. Number one, he sneaks in secrecy like a jackal. Number two, he picks off the weak members of the group, buttonholes them, then panders to their weakness, to their detriment, and sometimes their death. Number three, he is a hypocrite. He does not practice what he preaches. For example, he's way late in his fifth step and probably has never made his amends. He works only, we, we have a pretty orthodox group. The average sobriety in our group is around 11 years, and it runs up into the high 30. We have them even all the way through, all the way. We've been very effective in our group. He is a hypocrite. He does not practice what he preaches. Wait a minute. Now, he works only with people, with money or with pretty girls. Number one, he sneaks in a secretive like a jackal. Self-esteem, group leader, guru, know everything about everybody. Self-esteem, I'm open, direct, I'm a lion. Ambition, to convert, or to convert him or drive him away from the herd. Security, I need open, direct members. Personal relations, all in the group are open, loving, and kind to each other. They're direct and they're honest. And so on. You get the idea of how I write? I'm not going to drag it on. I've written in many areas of my life, and it all seems absurd when you read it like this here, but it isn't. When these are the terrible breaks. How could this be? I'm 30 years sober. I've written at least one in the try every year since I've been sober, and in the early two, three, and sometimes more. And here I am again with this stuff, same stuff. Now, what do I do with it? 
Well, I got a friend named Gary also, whom I fist up with it. I do it because I trust him. He's closed mouth. He is a friend. He's doing the work, has done it for many years, and I can trust him. I fist up with similar people uh, and who will feed back and will listen, will correct, and what about this? You missed this, and so forth. Then I get alone and I review my work and see if it's been thorough, pick up any loose ends that may have come up in the fist step. And then I face my God with a full awareness of my limitations. See, I'd love to go to God with clean hands, but I have to go with the awareness of this stuff. I have to go to Him as I am with real awareness of my selfishness and my self-centeredness and my immaturity. And I say, God, yeah, I am. I pray that you remove from me every single defect of character that stands in the way of my usefulness to you and to my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. May I do your will always. Then I move to the eighth step, and I'm going to show you what I did with the eighth step. And I'm going to show you with these amendments. This is what I did out of this work. I used the sacraments of penance of the Episcopal Church. I've used other other things. This contains the seven deadly sins. And I mean, I'm going to switch the water here for a minute. Man. Thank you. I'm going to read you some excerpts, a line or two from, from each of you. Two of us met, and we went through these. And this is how this reads, and I'll show you what we did with them. Pride is putting self in the place of God. This is the first deadly sin. As objective of life, it's the refusal to recognize our status as creatures dependent on God. I'm just reading bits and pieces. Irreverence, ne direct neglect of worship of God. Sentimentality, being satisfied with pious feelings and beautiful ceremony. Presumption, dependence on self rather than on God. Consequent neglect of the means of our grace, sacraments, and prayer. Distrust, refusal to recognize God's wisdom. This all under pride. Oversensitiveness, and then it goes on to impenitence and vanity and arrogance and snobbery. That's all under pride. And then anger is open rebellion against God, resentment, refusal to discern, accept, or fulfill God's vocation, dissatisfaction with talents, abilities, opportunities, etc. Pugnacity, retaliation, and it goes on with envy. And jealousy and malice, I'm just reading headed in that. Covetousness, inordinate ambition, domination, prodigal, penurious, gluttony, lust. Seven deadly sins. We spent actually three sessions of about an hour piece together on this. But what we did was put together solutions to this. We haven't touched our inventory yet. And this is not inventory that we did. 
and I didn't know he had so many of them. But for example, amend their lives, meditation, regular meditation, 10 step work. Incidentally, I've got to do a workshop in the morning on 10, 11, and 12, so I'm not going to talk about them tonight. But you're to know that they are what the program is truly about. And what we're talking about tonight is how you get a foundation, so that is a real possibility for you. Um, Open-mindedness, open-mindedness, willing to change my mind. See, as we go through this, this inventory has shown me where distrust, fight to be brave, cheerful, and hopeful, make sense, obey God's no will, and so forth. We went clear through these with solutions for each one of kindness and love, of listening, of patience, of honesty, and so on. Very carefully over those three sessions. And then we made amends. And I've got some amends here that I want to talk to you about. This is the guy that was in the office with me. He was a tenant of mine. He was a younger man in his 30s. And uh, he had told another friend of mine that I had stolen his cases, that I had not given him his phone calls, and what else? I wrote inventory on that. Now, how do I deal with this? Well, I set that aside, and then out of the inventory, this is the amend that came out of it, and I went to it. But also, I have to solve this other problem of his bed, by which it was absolutely untrue. I did none of those things. He just a big mouth kid. And uh, how do I do that without continuing more trouble? So I went to him, and out of the inventory, I discovered that I had set myself up to be hurt. And the amend I made to him, I said, Pete, I have patronized you. I have been superior to you. I was totally dominant and controlling in the office. I treated you like an apprentice. This is an experienced seasoned attorney. He's a criminal lawyer, which I don't practice. I was presumptuous asking you to take an individual's case for no fee because I didn't. Our relationship did not go that far. I presume the relationship did not exist. Then I told him, now I understand you believe that I stole some of your clients, took some of your clients, and that uh, I've withheld your phone calls and so forth. He said, oh, no, he said, I never believed that in the world. That was thinking that was the end of it. And they left that. Well, that was one. That was relatively easy. I made apology to that sick man, and he left after I made the amend. And he was pandering to my ego to dominate and control him and manipulate. But the minute that I made the amend and apologized for that, told him we wouldn't do that, he could be as crazy as he wanted to, and God, he was blowing me. You know, we'd get the case all stable, and we'd blow up in front of the judge, and, you know, kept out of jail. He's crazy enough the judge didn't put him in jail. 
and that's what I mean. But the minute that I make amends, turn into a totally different, seemingly very sane man, and got another way. Yeah. Hooked me with my own bullshit. <laughs> he did more experience than it, right? Uh, now here was was the the key one. This was that other guy in the group. You understand we've been friends for years. And I told him that, that I had uh, distance from him, I avoided him, that I teased him, I'd take shots at him. The meeting, our meeting is pretty easy to do that. I want to talk a little bit about groups that you're asking to get with you, so all the time is a quarter after nine year time. The, uh, uh, I told him that uh, those things. Apologize to the shop. Not a judgment. I didn't. I, I had patronized him also. And I got a smart mouth. And he said, "Yes, you have." He says, "You have sabotaged me over the last two years." He says, "You put me down." So forth and on and on. Which, to a large portion, was true. And. He said, I've got ready to leave the group because of you. And he would have been justified in doing that. And then I talked to him about the distance he had in the non-participation. We had a long talk. And I agreed that I would support him. And uh, nobody's going to walk on eggs in our group. You understand that? But it would be in context and with friendship and love. That was a rough one. There were other amends to my wife, my secretary, to other people in AA. But you get the gist of the work, do you understand? That's what I did. That was my experience with this last work. What happened then? Well, oh, I've got one other piece I should have read to you. There's an inventory about the, the thieves that stole my truck. And the inventory goes on about, now I'll have to go to the insurance company and I'll have to make a claim and they'll rip me off. And uh, I've got I've got a Dodge pickup with a Brahma topper and a handmade kit in the back that you can make into a bed with storage boxes. I was loaded with tools and drills and camping equipment and shooting equipment and so forth. And it's gone. They've stolen. I bet it I was in court with this crazy nut. <laughs> I come out and I've been dumped in a in a uh, restraining order situation that I should have won blindfolded. I come out and the truck's gone. And yeah, I can't be. Drove around the truck. Went to the police department. Called the insurance company, made the claim. Started this long list of personal property I had in there. Went to Sears and Roebuck, priced all the tools. You can't believe it, right? And then I get this call from George. Frank, I found your truck. And I've been looking here, and the truck is parked over here. I have a white ticket on well, this is what I figured would happen. I was a little careless a couple of years before the magic force came into my life. 
of evil force. It's been accumulating over the two years. And that force came and poked my truck with invisibility and moved it over to <laughs> It was either that or George stole my truck. <laughs> oh, God. And then I had to go back. By the way, the insurance company has now canceled me for too many claims. That's the truth. <laughs> and then the plumbing broke in our house, in our basement, and this crack. And they dug up our patio, and they canceled the insurance. They won't renew my lease. This is what's happened if you do the work, right? <laughs> I tell you, there's going to be a change in my life. You better like dealing with power in the unknown, or don't mess with this stuff, because it's real. And that's where I'm at now. I'm juggling with 10, 11, and 12. As you move into a new state, you have to put everything in place again. You can have nothing, and I'll talk about that in the morning. Uh, anybody that doesn't work the steps on a regular basis is an idiot. Uh, I don't know. You know, you're begging, you plead. I'm trying to talk to those six people that are going to drink and the one or two that are going to die. And for Christ's sake, change your mind. Change your mind. What is it worth? You cannot believe the glory that's available to you. You cannot. You can't. There's no way except the power and the love of God in your heart. I wish I could tell you. It's more than comfort. Sometimes it's so damned uncomfortable. Makes you weep. I started this work. I took it, and then it took me. You know. And that going out of control is uh, can be a hairy business. See, you're methodically, piece by piece, destroying your belief system. These are your reference things. This tells you what's right, what's wrong, what's up, what's down, what's good, what's bad. And you're wiping it out of your life. Now how do you know whether to turn left, turn right, what's safe, what's not safe, right? I was thinking about blackouts. I, I remember Matthew. Matthew was sitting on the curb and just bawling his heart out. Pal come up and says, Matthew, what are you? And hell's the matter with you? He says, what's the matter, Matthew? He says, my girlfriend, sex. He says, sex. Yes, sex. She wakes me up in the morning with sex. Then before breakfast, more sex. After breakfast, sex. Before lunch, sex. I guess I have to fight to get back to work. And more sex. And then I come home from work and there's sex. And then I, before I go to bed, sex on into the night. He says, well, for Pat's sakes, he says, what's wrong with that? He says, I can't remember where I live. Here's what our group does. <laughs> the, uh, 
no, I don't blame you. You know, you, these chairs, they get... Anyway, the group conscience. The tradition says the only authority we have is a loving God as it's expressed in our group conscience. How do you ascertain that? What a challenge. To gather as a group and try to find out what the will of God is for your group. What is your group conscience going to be? Here is what we do with some success in that respect. The chairman is just a timekeeper, nothing more. We go around the room and each person has one minute to suggest a topic that he wants discussed. The group then votes whether or not they want to discuss it. If they don't want to discuss it, uh, the minority opinion is heard from why certain people believe we should discuss it. And then if uh, that probably ends it, if it is chosen to discuss it, each person has a minute to talk on the subject. Our group conscience is you cannot pass in group conscience. Our group conscience is everybody attends group conscience. We use full meeting time for this. We don't hold a business meeting after the meeting. Why do we do this? It makes it virtually impossible to politic the group. And it saves individuals becoming a personality cup thing. Gary's group, Frank's group, and so forth. It stops that poison. Then it's voted on. Again, minority opinion is, is listened to. We pray before the meeting. It works very well. We're asking God's will for us collectively. It makes it very exciting. This is what our group conscience has developed. This is the format of our group as it exists now. It's just been changed. The first 10 minutes, which has not been tried yet, uh, we've never had birthday cakes in our group. Why? Because we left a group where birthday meetings were destroying the group. And we were having bad meeting after bad meeting after bad meeting. And we decided that in this group we would have the best possible chairman and the highest quality meetings. So our group conscience is that there must be at least five years sober before you can share in that group. You must understand we have other meetings where younger sobriety can share, and so forth. But not in this meeting, not in the home meeting. The um, topic must be out of the 100, first 164 pages of the big book. We don't believe in the stories because most of them are corrupt now. The, uh, oh, are we bad? Anyway, but we, we've got a, an unusual history of sobriety in that group. The... Um, first 10 minutes are for birthdays now and the first come first serve gets a birthday for that month starting 10 days before the month and they can fight first come for accepted anyone under five years has priority during any given month and they give a 10 minute talk and then we commence to build the meeting and this is what our meeting has always been from then on a regular format the chairman asks for announcements. Uh, uh, introductions and so forth.
over the Serenity Prayer. We read all of the fifth chapter. The meeting, we have a meet, group conscience meeting every two months. The meeting before the group conscience, we uh, read all of the traditions in the long form. And I strongly suggest the long form. Your short form's got some holes in it. Does anybody with a desire to stop drinking can become a member? They corrected that in the long form. Anybody who's an alcoholic and wants to start drinking. A lot of people educated just on that. Well, I'm a drug addict. Well, I want to stop drinking and impose themselves upon it. But that's why we, one of the reasons we use the long form. Um, and then it's read again before the group conscience. So we keep clear of what we're doing and why we're doing it. The, uh, we're all very active 12 stepping. Uh, you'll hear the 12 steppings dead, you can't get 12 steps. It's not true. I have gone to judges or the lawyers, so forth. I keep, I call it my root cellar. And uh, I'm getting off track, aren't I? Group conscious. Then we, uh, the chairman introduces the topic, talks to it for a brief period of time. I forget what it is, five, ten minutes. Introduces the topic. And then we draw lots and force people speak to it, five minutes apiece. And then we open the meeting for crossfire. And anybody can ask anybody in the meeting any topic about AA within 164 pages. And uh, that keeps everybody pretty honest and pretty much on track. Sometimes it gets a little rough around the edges, but most of the time it draws out incredible amounts of information about the step. And then we conclude with the Lord's Prayer. Pass the basket for self-supporting. That's about what I have. God bless you all. Hope I've given you something you can live with.